0: Um, Well, I've kind of felt like a basket case lately. Um, Do you ever feel like there's just your your skin's crawling, uh, you know, a lot of anxiety and nerves kept up inside? Um, It seems like always, every day, morning and evening, there's just something for me to always be stressing and worrying about. Uh, In fact, on Friday, I was supposed to meet a friend at 7.30 a.m. for coffee, and being the uh, good non-morning person that I am. Uh, I walked in late, uh, woke up late, and uh, I remember backing out of the driveway at 45 miles per hour, and when I got to coffee, he said, you're a little frazzled, aren't you? Well, that's that's my uh, every day, it seems like, lately. But even aside from all the general uh, busyness that I put myself into, I just have that bottled up anxiety. Uh, just asked my fellow Advent staff member Bethany Rushing, who always reminds me that I'm wound a little too tight. Uh, if you've seen the Treat Yourself episode of Parks and Recreation, um, I identify with Ben when Ben, Tom, and uh, Donna you know, go on a shopping spree and try to get massages, and Ben just cannot relax. That's me. Well, while I've been having anxiety and stress on my mind and reflecting about that in me, my housemate's uh, Time magazine issue came in the mail the other day, and on the front cover it said, Anxiety, Depression, and the American Adolescent. It's quite an eye-opening and emotional read, honestly, and to whatever extent, I think a lot of us here in this room could probably identify with it. The article says that about 30% of teenage girls and 20% of teenage boys now check in for help for anxiety. That's about 6.3 million teenagers. And that number is probably a bit low because not everyone seeks out help. So uh, without losing you, may I just quote kind of at length from this article? It says, adolescents today have a reputation for being more fragile less resilient and more overwhelmed than their parents were when they were growing up. Sometimes they're called spoiled or coddled or helicoptered, but a closer look paints a far more heartbreaking portrait of why young people are suffering. Anxiety and depression in high school kids have been on the rise since 2012, after several years of stability. It's a phenomenon that cuts across all demographics—suburban, urban, and rural. Those who are college bound and those who aren't. Family financial stress can exacerbate these issues. And studies show that girls are more at risk than boys. It goes on to explain that teenagers are the quote post-9-11 generation, raised in an era of economic and national insecurity. They've never known a time when terrorism and school shootings weren't the norm. They grew up watching their parents weather a severe recession. And perhaps most important, they hit puberty at a time when technology and social media were transforming society. Uh, One researcher says this, if you wanted to create an environment to churn out really angsty people, we've done it. Someone else says, our anxiety is like a scab that you just keep itching. All in all, we are an anxious people. We 21st century Americans are anxious. And I wonder how uh, if, if many of us in this room can relate to this. How many of us here in this very room find ourselves in the cuckoo's nest? Feeling in some way or another trapped, depressed, anxious, tending toward despair. Perhaps it's because of financial issues or relational issues. Or maybe it's a specifically spiritual issue. And then we could, you know, zoom out from the individual level and look at the national level. One thing is for sure, this week's election has ripped open some wounds for whatever side of the political spectrum you might find yourself on. There are those on the right who feel like their America has been lost. There's those on the left who now feel wounded and hurt because a man has now Uh, is about to take the presidency. They feel like everything is in turmoil. The national debt is growing. We make less than we used to. The middle class is thinning. Racism is on the rise, etc., etc., etc. Our future is uncertain. And then The Verge just this week reported that an increasing amount of people have called into a suicide hotline since Donald Trump was elected. Here's the point. Anxiety is on the rise and we as individuals and we collectively as a nation are anxious. And so it's in the midst of all of this that we may be perhaps perhaps tempted to, to look to all sorts of things to provide us with comfort and hope and security. Certainly many have placed their hope in Hillary Clinton and now things have gone awry. And then there are others who are now cheering because their great protector, Donald Trump, is here to secure their freedom. And here is where we currently find ourselves. We are afraid of our future, we lack a future, and we are anxious. It is in the midst of all of this insecurity, anxiety, and craziness that Paul gives us his word today. He is writing to a group of people, the Thessalonians, a church that is also anxious about their future. He says in chapter 2 that they are shaken in mind and alarmed because they think they have missed the Lord's coming. They have missed the Lord's coming again. And so Paul's letter is here to encourage them amid suffering and persecution and anxiety about the future. And he is pressing them to remain steadfast, to stay true, to the gospel until the end. So he sets the record straight against the false teachers. And then what we have tonight uh, is this little middle section, um, this prayer. he's, He's praying for them, he's giving thanksgiving for them, and he is encouraging them to not only remain steadfast, but he's also encouraging them to pray, to be a praying people. And so... What we see here in this passage and what we heard from last week is that Paul reminds this church basically of the gospel. He reminds them of the good news that they have received. In verse 13 of chapter 2, which we read from last week, he says to them that you are, listen, beloved of the Lord. The Lord loves them. That's what he calls the church. And he says this to them, which is what we read from last week. God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He goes on. To this He called you through our Gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In short, what Paul is doing is reminding them of this grand storyline, this grand narrative, this grand story that God has placed the Thessalonians into. God has rescued them and taken them out of their story and placed them into God's story, into his future that he is giving them. It is all too tempting for us when we think about the gospel, which does center on the person and work of Jesus, to forget about the full ramifications of this good news. The gospel centers on Jesus, but... Uh, books could be written, books and books and books about the full implications of this message. So we begin to recognize that there's a fuller scope. There's a full grand storyline that God has placed the Thessalonians and also us here in this room into. God has called us, us anxious Americans, out of our hopeless, anxiety-ridden storyline and He has placed us into His sure and certain future in Jesus Christ. He is calling us who are very anxious right now. He is calling us to a hope that surpasses anything this world could offer. He has called all of us individual despairing and wounded individuals to His future. And in the midst of all of this, God has called us here in this room. He has called us out of our individual life movies into His story. And so in light of this promise, Paul says to the Thessalonians and to us, press on, stay firm, stay steadfast because your future is certain in the triune God. Stand firm. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, isn't this a heavy burden for us who are already plagued with so much anxiety and doubt? Who are already in the cuckoo's nest? How could we muster up the energy to press on? But that is not the message of the Gospel or, or that which God has called us to. For God has called us out-of-our-own-life movies where we muster up our energy to secure and sustain ourselves, and He has called us into His future that He lets us in on. When God calls us here in this room, us Adventers, it involves us letting go. Henry Nouwen tells a story um, that shows what this gospel storyline looks like for us. He tells this story. A story about an elderly woman brought to a psychiatric center exemplifies this attitude. She was wild, swinging at everything in sight and frightening everyone so much that the doctors had to take everything away from her. But there was one small coin which she gripped in her fist and would not give up. In fact, it took two people to pry open that clenched hand. It was as though she would lose her very self along with the coin. If they deprived her of that last possession, she would have nothing more and be nothing more. That was her fear. Our culture presses us from all sorts of directions to cling to our own security and certainty. It always is calling us to fix ourselves and to muster up the energy, whether from the right or the left or from any other direction. And so perhaps it is for us as Christians now in 2016 in Birmingham, Alabama, perhaps it is for us to actually acknowledge and fess up, to acknowledge that we are in this cuckoo's nest, that we are messed up. Perhaps it is when we come to the end of ourselves, when we let go of the coin, when we realize that we are ultimately incapable of solving our dilemma, Perhaps it is then that we can receive the great physician, the great physician's balm, Jesus Christ himself. The God, according to the gospel, he comes to us with all our wounds and anxieties and insecurities, and he points us to Jesus' wounds. And in Jesus' wounds, he has overcome the darkest, deepest parts of our soul. And in Jesus' resurrection, we can know that his love reaches us even on the other side of death, and he is restoring even our broken world. God, in Jesus Christ and by his Spirit, is truly making all things new. We are that community which gathers around that radically new news, it is that which sets us apart from every other community, every other charity that might gather around us. We are a community that gathers around God's good, radically new news. It is not advice for better living. It is not advice for us to muster up something in here. It is God's announcement that He is delivering us over to His sure and certain future. The God of Israel has raised his servant Jesus from the dead. Adventers, it is my deepest desire and my prayer to God that the Advent would have a radical flavor. Radical from the Latin radix means to the root. That we would have a radical flavor. Not radically mustering up energy and doing and going, uh, always on the move, but radically to our core, resting in god's good news that we are free creatures in christ that we have been called to be truly human and so when paul calls us to stand firm until the end he is calling us by the gospel to rest in god's coming and so perhaps again let me repeat myself perhaps what would be most radical in our day is that we announce to the world that we may be broken in and of ourselves, but we do not look to anything in us, anything that we could accomplish, but in God's accomplishment. We do not look to ourselves to fix us, we look to God's certain future. And Paul reminds us that in spite of all our faithlessness, God Himself is faithful He will establish you, church. He will establish you and secure you till the end. And He will guard you against the evil one. Because Jesus now lives to triumph, we must dare say to this unbelieving world, because Jesus now lives to triumph, this present evil age is passing away. This present evil age is passing away and God has dissolved all of our identity-making efforts and He has rendered that passé. Our individual worries and our fears will likely persist. Presidential candidates will come and go. But the God who has raised his servant Jesus from the dead, he has called us to die. He has called us into a story where we are no longer in control, where we rest in him, where we are so free that we can give up on our individual projects and serve our neighbors. As the Advent's own Cameron Cole just wrote this week in an article that you should all read on Mockingbird, the Mockingbird blog, Cameron Cole said this, The life to which Christ calls a person involves dying and dying and dying. It is the language of Christ following. Jesus says to his inner circle, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their crosses daily and follow me. To die means to lose control of one's life with open hands and to entrust one's circumstances to the sovereign discretion of God. Jesus leaves no mystery to the prominence of pain in this journey, choosing an instrument that inflicts agony, the cross, as the most fitting metaphorical image to accompany us along the way. In the way of the cross, Jesus forecasts daily pain and he calls for daily release. Finally, in this passage, Paul calls us as a church to pray. In light of this good news, in light of being taken out of our storyline, Paul calls us as a church to pray. And so I think in light of the fever pitch of anxiety that our nation has come to, the anxiety that we have in and of ourselves, let us pray that God, by His Spirit, would so shape us as a community to to anticipate the future to which God has called us to. Let us pray for the Lord to provide and to comfort those who are broken, to provide for those who are uh, scared and have an uncertain future in light of the election. Because it is this prayerful posture, it is this prayerful posture where we pray to our Lord, it shows that we look outside of ourselves for life. Can I read one more quote and then we'll close? This prayerful posture points to a gospel-shaped life, that we receive our life in and of ourselves. Here's the quote from the reformer John Calvin. In Christ, God offers all happiness in place of our misery, all wealth in place of our neediness. In Him, He opens to us the heavenly treasures that our whole faith may contemplate His beloved Son. Our whole expectation depend upon Him, and our whole hope cleave to and rest in Him. This indeed is that secret and hidden philosophy which cannot be wrested from syllogisms. But after we have been instructed by faith to recognize that whatever we need and whatever we lack is in God and in our Lord Jesus Christ, it remains for us to seek Him, and in prayers to ask of Him what we have learned to be in Him alone. Taking my cue from Paul, tonight I say to you, Adventers, on behalf of Matt and Zach and me as well, Adventers, we give thanks to God for you, for calling you out of darkness into light, to a belief in the truth, God Himself has called you by His Spirit to a sure and certain future. He has called you to see and to savor the glory of Jesus Christ. And because we have heard this radically new news, we know that this present evil age is passing away. Do not be anxious then, for God has taken us out of our individual life movies and placed us into His sure and certain future. The God of Israel has indeed raised His servant, Jesus, from the dead. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Amen.